invite you to open with me this morning to Philippians chapter 3. So Philippians chapter 3 is where we are going to be this morning. And for the fourth straight year, we begin a new year by asking the members of our faith family to seek the Lord for a word for the year. Um, One word we say anchored in the word of God that will become your prayer for the new year, that will become a place of accountability and anchor uh, for you throughout the year. And every year as I seek God for a word, um, not only is it a word for me personally, I I pray for a word for my family, and then I pray for a word um, for this faith family. And over the last three years, God has given me the words vision. Um, In 2014, based on Proverbs 29, um, without a vision, the people cast off restraint or the people perish. And God used our time in the Word then to kind of refocus us, our vision, our mission statement. And we're going to be kind of looking at that again this year. In 2015, my Word was identification based on Philippians 3.10, that we may know Christ and the power of His resurrection, but also may become like Him and sharing in His suffering and what that looks like um, to walk in the power of Christ, but also even in the suffering that comes with that. Last year we focused on, or my word was communion, what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, what it means to desire Christ above all other things, and what a um, challenge that was in 2016, and this year in seeking the Lord for a word. I was led um, to consider basically all that God has Um, done in my life over the last 10 years as the pastor here, um, what God has done in the life of this, his church during that time. And uh, let me just begin this morning by being a little honest. It's good for a pastor to be honest, right? So just just begin by being a little honest. There have been, think about what God has done. There have been certain things that I know that God has placed upon my heart as your pastor that I have not followed through with. Um, either because I was sidetracked by the enemy and other things came along, or either because of the fear of man. Um, I have not moved forward in everything that I felt like God has led me to do and led me to lead you to do. And I'm not proud to say that by any means, but I'm thankful for God's grace in reminding me through this time that there is some unfinished business on the table. Therefore, my word for 2017 is this, forward, which might sound weird to you. And, and it's weird. I told Morgan this morning, she's been asking me for my word. And I said, I won't tell you until Sunday. And I told her, and she was like, okay. And I was like, well, that didn't quite have the power I thought it was going to have. And um, it was the same way here. But here, here's, the, here's the reality. The reality is that by the grace of God and for the glory of God, I pray that I will be able to forge ahead knowing and fulfilling the calling that God has placed upon my life. Not just in my relationship with him, but in the mission that he has given me. And I I pray in the same way that this faith family would move forward in God's calling upon your life and fulfilling what God is telling you to do even even as we we speak. And I was very convicted this week when I I read, um, was reminded of a quote from a book that was written in, I think, 1948 um, called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And in it, he describes the church in this way, and it's scary to think about writing this over 70 years ago, or some 70 years ago, and and here's what he said. He says, in the church today, everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. 
which, of course, let me just say this, is a word that you never find in Scripture. So you'll never find in Scripture the words except Christ. But moving on. And then he says, And we are not expected, therefore, to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. Christ can be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he is not hungry nor thirsty after God. Is that not the world we live in? People who are saved and they walk down the aisle and they're baptized, but yet there's no desire in their hearts to follow Christ or to become Christ-like. Then he says this, We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. But come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him, they prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Oh, that that would be true of us. That we would not be a, a people who are satisfied the fact that we have found God and think we'd have to nothing more to do. May we be a people who hunger and thirst and wrestle for the standpoint of wanting to know him. And when we come to know him, we want more of him. Even as Moses said, show me your glory after seeing so much of God. And now I think of another holy man who, as we come near him through the word of God, we, we feel the heat of his desire for God. That would be the Apostle Paul. And the words that we are about to read this morning in Philippians chapter 3 were written by him, a former Christian persecutor, one who persecuted the church, who had a life-changing encounter with the risen Lord. And as he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he was writing, so, or writing it as a prisoner from Rome. And I can't speak to that personally. I've never spent any time in jail, um, never had any run-ins with a popo, um, none of that. I can't speak to that personally, but I can assume that if you were in prison, um, you were giving a whole, a whole lot of time to think. So prison probably gives a person a lot of time to think, first of all, about one's past, and whatever it was that led to you being there, but then also about the future, or if, if you even have a future um, at all. And so here Paul is in prison, not for crimes against humanity, but for speaking the gospel. That's, that's his crime. But in the midst of that, he's looking back at his life, but looking ahead to even what God has in store for him. And it's a good word for us, so... Let's look at what Paul has to say to us this morning concerning moving forward in pursuit of Christ. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word together. We're going to read verses um, 12 through 14 of Philippians chapter 3 together. So Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and look at what it means to move forward. So verse 12 says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, come before you today, Lord, and oh God, we, we want that to be our reality, Lord. 
that you would help us all as a people to move forward in our relationship with you, not to be satisfied, not to aimlessly wonder throughout our Christian lives as if we believe that somehow, some way, we're just going to, to drift towards godliness, but help us to make it our aim to move forward, O oh God, in pursuit of you. Lord, help us, God, today to show us what that looks like. Show us the beauty and the glory and the, the power, God, of it. Just pray, Lord, that, that these powerful words, God, that you inspired would just grip our minds and our hearts. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may be seated. So think about what we just read. And I, I believe as we think about this, there is a, a word of truth that should be recognized in every child of God. And what that truth is, is, is this. The truth is every true child of God will be a pursuer of Christ. Every true child of God. It's amazing to me that when you, you preach about um, pursuing Christ, you always have people that will come up and say, well, uh, but I know Christ. And, and they make this excuse because they know Christ, they don't have to pursue Christ. And any time a person comes up to me that tries to begin making excuses why they don't have to follow Christ, it's because they don't know Christ. <laughs> so let me, just, let me just say that. So if, if we are true children of God, the Spirit of Christ in us will remind us who we are without Him. Therefore, we will seek Him. In fact, let me say it again. Not to go hard after Christ, not to pursue Him, either means we don't know Him or it means that we don't trust Him. In either case, Christ is scorned and we're lost. So we've got to understand this reality. So assuming, and I know what that word means, but assuming that you are here this morning desiring to move forward in your relationship with Christ, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at three ways that the Apostle Paul calls us to move forward in our pursuit of Christ. And I, as I said, I, this is a word for me, this is a word for my family, and I pray this is a word for, for you as we begin this new year. So the first way is this, the first truth, move forward passionately pursuing the pursuer. Which might sound weird, but move forward passionately pursuing the pursuer. And it's so helpful that Paul begins this section by saying, not that I have already obtained this. And I, I think there's a so helpful because the reality is none of us have arrived. And if Paul can say, I haven't arrived, it gives me hope. And it also makes me say, well, if he hasn't arrived, then there's no way in the world I have arrived. But there should be a level of holy dissatisfaction in all of our hearts I don't mean in the sense where we have come to Christ and we walk away going, well, that wasn't satisfying. I mean there should be a level of holy dissatisfaction by which we've come to Christ. We've tasted and seen that he is good, and we walk away saying, I need more of that. I want more of that. I, I can't get enough of that. But when we think about our pursuit of Christ, when we think about that, we have to realize that the only reason we pursue Christ is because Christ has pursued us. He's pursued us. Christian theology, please hear this, Christian theology teaches us that before a man can seek God, God must have first sought the man. So before, before a man can seek God, God must have first sought the man. Before a sinful man can think a right thought concerning God, there must have been a work of enlightenment in his, in his mind done by God. We pursue God because and only because he has first put the urge within us to pursue him. In fact, Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
So no one can come to me unless the one, the Father who sent me draws him. So the truth this morning is this. Christ found you. He saved you. He has a purpose for you. And I love the way that Paul unpacks this in verse 12 because he says this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what the word that, that Paul uses there when he says Christ Jesus has made me his own, it means this, that Christ has seized me, Christ has caught me, Christ has arrested me. So Paul is saying Christ arrested me. Think about Acts chapter 9. Paul, this Christian persecutor, going to Damascus in order to persecute Christians. And what happens on that road? Christ pursues him, overtakes him, throws him to the ground with his glory, and Christ forever seizes him by his grace. Just think about the reversal that Christ does in the human heart. Just let that sink in and just think about this this morning. Does it amaze you? Does it amaze you that someone with a past like Paul makes it his aim to pursue Christ? It should amaze us. It should absolutely amaze us. And if it doesn't, let me just walk you through a story. This is something that Charles Spurgeon told, and I kind of readapted it, but just follow through. Follow me here. Imagine for a moment that you were living in the Roman Empire under the Roman emperors, and you have been captured by Roman soldiers. You have been sold for a slave You've been stripped, you've been whipped, you've been branded, you've been imprisoned, and at last you've been appointed to die in the Colosseum. And tens of thousands of people assemble at the Colosseum with a great deal of delight in order to watch your demise. So they come to watch you die, which is what Romans love to do. You stand alone in this Colosseum armed with only a single dagger. And in front of you, a huge door is lifted up mechanically, and out of it rushes a huge, ravenous lion. You must either kill it, or you will be ripped to pieces by it. And you are pretty certain that you are about to die. You, you know your skills. You see him. You're pretty certain that death is coming. So you tremble you tremble and you are paralyzed with fear. But then follow with me. Then something amazing happens. A deliverer appears. Someone unknown to you that you don't even know leaps forth from among the crowd, confronts this savage monster. This stranger to you doesn't even back down for a moment, doesn't even flinch, but pursues and pushes forward to this lion and instead of fighting back this lion cowers down like a helpless mutt and runs back into the cage just imagine for a moment that hero then lifting you up looking into your bloodless face because you've lost all blood there and the hero whispering in your ear you're free you're free and then imagine do you not think for a moment that there would arise within your heart a desire to know the one who just freed you? But then soldiers take you out of the Colosseum, and for the first time in a while, you, you breathe free air. And it doesn't just stop there, but they take you to a, a house beyond what you could ever imagine. 
Your wounds are washed and healed. You are clothed with priceless garments. You sleep on the most comfortable bed you've ever slept on. The next morning you are attended to by servants. Day after day, week after week, your wants are supplied. There's nothing, there's nothing that you can ask for that you do not receive. Yet, in the midst of all of this extravagance, would there not be a curious desire to know the one who has made all this possible? Would there not be some desire? But what if, what if when you ask the servants about your deliverer, they replied, is it not enough that you've been delivered from the lion? Is it not enough that your every want is being supplied? What more could you possibly want? But then you reply, it is because I've been delivered. It's because of all this great extravagance beyond what I could ever imagine that I want to pour my affection upon the one who has made this possible. But then suppose you wake up one morning and you are informed that your deliverer has not only done those things that you have seen, but has done for you a thousand things that you haven't seen. And then you're told that he has been wounded, he has been imprisoned, and he has been beaten for your sake. For he had a love for you that death itself could not overcome. And then you're told he will not stop giving himself for you. Would you not say to the servants, please tell me who he is and where he is that I may go to him. Please tell me that I may go to him. But suppose the servant said, Shouldn't it be enough for you that he pursued you, that he loved you, that he is giving you daily proof of his goodness for you? Isn't that enough? Oh, that we would say, all of these things are good, but they pale in comparison to knowing him. And then we would say, I can't live without knowing him, for his goodness makes me thirst, his goodness makes me hunger, his goodness makes me faint that I will know him. This is, brothers and sisters, this is a picture of what the Apostle Paul, how he was captured. It wasn't just enough that he was captured by grace and his life transformed. He said, I must know this one who has done this for me, which begs the question for us, are we passionately pursuing the one who pursued us? Are we? Are we passionately pursuing him? Oh, that we would move forward passionately pursuing our pursuer. Then the second truth is this, that we would move forward fully forgetting the past. So move forward fully forgetting the past. And I believe that there's going to be some here this morning that you will have a tendency to believe that there is no way that you can know Jesus like this. There's no way that you can walk with him like this. There's no way that you can experience him like this because you're going to say, I've done some pretty rotten things in my past and there's no way that I can know him like that. And if that's you this morning, let me just be very clear today. This text is calling you a liar. If you are here today saying there's no way that God could possibly use me because of what I've done, this text is saying you're lying. You're lying. For there is no one too great. Let me put it this way. You're not Grace's kryptonite. You're not the one that Grace doesn't work on. Grace works for everybody else. Oh yeah, God can save Moses and God can save Paul and God can save all these other terrible people, but he can never do that work in me. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. 
And I love what Paul does here. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul, just like most other pastors, Paul says, one thing I do, and then he names five things. He, exactly what most pastors do, one thing, and then he gives us five things. But I just want to focus today on just two of those. The first is forgetting. He says, forgetting what's behind me. Forgetting what's behind me. And of course, it, doesn't, it can't refer to everything behind us. Think about this. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God commands or tells His people to remember. In the Old Testament, God constantly had His people building remor- memorials so they would remember God's faithfulness towards them. So Paul is not telling us, forget everything. Just forget it all. That's not what he's telling us. Instead, here's what Paul is saying. Forget anything, forget everything behind us that keeps us from from pursuing Jesus today and tomorrow. Forget it all. If it will keep you from pursuing Christ today and tomorrow, then get rid of it. And this includes high points and low points. This includes victories and failures. Did you know that oftentimes victories have a way of making us smug and lazy? Victories have a way of making us smug and lazy. And we sit around and we begin to pat ourselves on the back and think somehow, some way, we accomplish that ourselves. And then we say, well, I have no need to move any further because this is the greatest moment of my life. I have no need to ever move beyond here. Or to put it in a, in a different way, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're still talking about how you served the Lord 10 years ago but you have nothing to say about how you're serving the Lord today. I once heard a person say this, if your testimony is more than 24 hours old, get a new one. Get a new one, because God wants to do something in your life today. Today, don't let the highlight of your Christian life be 20 years ago. Don't let it be. Don't let the highlight of your life be that you were saved when you were 10 years old, and bless God, you're still here some 30 years later or 40 years later. No, let the highlight of your life be that God has something for your life today. And if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. So let that be the highlight of your life. So high points, we put them behind, but it's not just past victories that we need to take heed of. It's more obviously past failures. Don't we all know very well that our pursuit of Christ can be affected by dark things in our lives, whether things that we have done or whether things that have been done to us? Don't we all know that, that our our Christian lives can be affected by by things that either we did or things that have been done to us? And it's, it's so natural and it's so easy to get bogged down in the idea that I've done something too great that God just cannot forgive me. Yet do not, do not let your past paralyze you from God's grace for today and God's victories for tomorrow. Don't let your past paralyze you in that way. And please, please, please do not come to me with the notion of, well, I just can't forgive myself. Let me, let me just tell you why all that is is a lie from the enemy that's feeding your pride. Let me just tell you that because he, here's, here's the picture. Who are you or who am I to withhold something from myself that God himself promised? For God says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who am I to say I cannot forgive myself when God has said, I forgive you? I tell you this, I have a word, but my word is weak when it compares to his word. 
And I have a promise, but my promises are weak when compared to his promises. Who are we to say we can't forgive ourselves when the God of the universe, the holy God, has said, you're forgiven? You're forgiven. So don't, don't come at me with that weak excuse when God has said, you're forgiven. For when God says you're forgiven, guess what, brothers and sisters? We're forgiven. We're forgiven. Let's walk in that. So to summarize Paul, what Paul says is, Give humble thanks for past successes. Make humble confession for past failures. And then turn to the future and go hard after God. So move forward, forgetting the past. And then lastly, move forward, relentlessly reaching toward the future. Move forward, relentlessly reaching towards the future. So Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting, but then straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal, or press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do is what Paul says, forgetting what's behind and straining forward to what's ahead, relentlessly reaching towards the goal. It doesn't take much to realize when you read um, the Apostle Paul, Paul had to be a sports fan. He was, had to be a sports fan. He had to follow sports, which helps us out, men, that Paul follows sports. In fact, let me say a step further. Paul was a Georgia Bulldog fan. Uh, you might not agree with that, but in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, look out for the dogs. In, in the Greek, that means, how about them dogs? I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up. Paul says it. Okay, just so you know, if that's the most fired up you get for today, then there's some idols that we need to discuss. But uh, here's, the, here's the reality. Paul he seemed to want to take these ideas of sports and athletics and bring it into our picture of running the race and finishing what God has put before us. I'm going to address that in just a second, but let me unpack this. Paul says one thing. And it's amazing to me how this picture of one thing is seen all throughout Scripture. When the rich young ruler stood before Jesus, he lacked one thing. When, when Mary, the sister of Martha, what did she do? She chose the one thing that was important. When Martha said, Lord, tell her to help me, he says, no, she, there's one thing. And Martha, Mary chose it. In Psalm 27, the psalmist says, we need to desire one thing. In John 9, the guy who was blind until he met Jesus he knew one thing. He says, one thing I know, though I was blind, but now I see. There's a reality, brothers and sisters, about one thing. But here's the problem. Everyone in this room, we are inundated with many, many, many things. Yet it's possible. Please hear this. It's possible that we give ourselves or spend our lives giving ourselves to countless things. And in the end, we accomplish Nothing of eternal value. It is possible that you and I can live our lives giving ourselves to many, many things and in the end accomplish nothing of eternal value. Or we can give ourselves to one thing, pursuing Christ, and in the end accomplish an eternal reward. Will we relentlessly reach forward and reach towards the prize? When famed missionary Dr. David Livingston returned from Africa to England, he was asked, where are you going next? And he replied, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it's 
forward. I'm not looking to go backwards. I want to go forward. In fact, one Bible scholar put it this way. The normal Bible direction is not backwards. The normal Bible direction is always forward. Any motion towards God must be a forward motion. Even repentance is not a retreat towards the past, but a decided march into a more glorious future. Are you straining towards the prize? Back in August last year, I don't know about you, but I got into the Olympics. I got into it. I enjoyed it. I, 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 our family, I don't think our TV turned from um, NBC the, the whole month of, of August as we just watched it. But I remember some things were happening in some of the, the races, um, the 100 meters, 200 meters that had never happened before. And I remember a lot of people were complaining that there were these runners who were running, and at the last minute when they reached the finish line, they were diving for the finish line. And people were saying, well, why would you do that? That's terrible. Don't do that. And here's the, the point. When you are an athlete who have given hours upon hours, days upon days, I mean, eight hours a day running and training, you know what? When it all is said and done, and when someone's running beside you, and you see that finish line, you don't care about whether your arms are about to be tore up by the ground, whether your knees are going to be tore up. All you care about is, I want the prize. I want what I've trained hard for. And so here we have these athletes. They're diving across. And if, if that upsets you, then there's other things going on here. But you th just think about that reality. And what Paul is saying is, that athlete that maybe you don't like, Paul says, that's me. That's, that's how I want to do the finish line. I want to throw myself across the field. I want to strain for the finish line regardless of what you think, regardless of how it, it rubs you. That's how I want to finish my race. But follow with me here. Many of us in this room are straining for a prize. But the question becomes, are we straining for the prize? Are we straining for the prize? Paul says very, very clearly, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, what's the prize? What's the prize that Paul is straining towards? What's the, the prize that Paul himself is diving towards? And here's the beautiful picture. This prize is really twofold when you look at Scripture. First of all, this prize is... The prize of our salvation is also the purpose of our salvation, which means when we think about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says that God is working all things together for good. But then it says this, whom God foreknew, he also predestined for us to be conformed to the image of his son. So the purpose of God saving us, hear this, is to make us like Jesus. What's the prize Christ-likeness. What's the prize? Knowing Christ. What's the prize? Being completely unified in Him. That's the prize. Being like Christ. Desiring Him. Wanting more and more and more of Him. And yet, that's not going to happen until we get to heaven. Until we see Him face to face and we truly become like Him. But that needs to be the desire now. That's the reason we have the Spirit of God now. To make us like Christ. But yet, there's also a second part. Just about every time Paul uses the word prize in all of his other writings, the prize that he is talking about is not necessarily Christ, although this is very, very true. The prize that he talks about in most of his other, other writings is this, being able to present other people with him in the presence of Christ. 
So Paul says time and time again to the people he's writing to, you're my prize. You're my prize. I'm bringing you with me. I'm introducing you to Jesus. So the question is, are we growing in Christ? And are we introducing other people to him? Are you straining towards that today? Don't just settle for, yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't settle for that. By God's grace, make it your aim to say, I know him and I want more of him. Make that your aim. I know him, yes, but I want more of him. Don't just aimlessly wander throughout this life thinking you're going to drift towards godliness. Don't do it. Strain forward. Press onward. Pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Do you understand the calling that Christ has placed upon your life? If you do, will you strain towards it? Will you press towards it? Will you forget what is behind, whether it be great or whether it be terrible? Will you forget it, give it up, so that you can pursue Christ with all of your might today and tomorrow? Will you strain forward to the prize, the pursuit of Christ, and the pursuit of other people coming to Christ to know what you know? My question this morning is, will you move forward with me in 2017 for the glory of God? Will you move forward with me saying, I don't know maybe what God is telling me to do, but whatever he tells me to do by his grace, for his glory, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And if nobody joins me in it, I'm still going to do it. No turning back. No, though none go with me, I'm still going to do it. Let me just put this scripture one more time on, on the screen. I just want to read it one more time and let you just soak it in. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So Paul says, not perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Pursue the one who pursued you. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forget the past. Forget the highs. Forget the lows. Forget anything that will keep you from pursuing Christ today and tomorrow. And then he says this, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, may that be the goal of our life today. May that be the goal of our life tomorrow. May that be the goal of our life forever. We want him. We want him. I pray that you would join me, hold me accountable to this in 2017. Um, join me in this. I tell you, nothing encourages the heart of a pastor um, like a people who are pursuing Christ. <laughs> Nothing encourages the heart of a pastor like that. Encourage me in that this year. Let's, let's pursue him together. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. Ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward. So we enter in this time of invitation, and basically the point is this. Whatever God is asking you to do, may you do it for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and God, we declare today, Father, that we are pursuing the one who has pursued us. We are forgetting everything that is keeping us from pursuing you, God. We're forgetting our, our past, Lord. We're not going to hold on to this nonsensical, silly excuse that we can't forgive ourselves when your word tells us, God, that you have forgiven us. So therefore, God, we're going to accept what you say. We're going to accept the fact that our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more. And God, we're going to 
put that behind and we're going to put our, our past successes behind and realize you have something for us today. And Lord willing, you have something for us tomorrow. And God, may we strain forward, God, to what's ahead. Strain forward to becoming like you, dear Jesus, and strain forward to bringing people to know you. God, do that work in our lives. God, give us a absolute burning passion for that, oh God, we pray. We just pray for accountability in this place, God, that we would hold each other accountable, not in a condescending way, not in a legalistic way, but in a way, God, that we want to encourage one another to pursue Christ. And at the same time, God, be encouraged by others to pursue Christ. God, do that work, we pray, in every heart and life. In Jesus' name, amen.